Hey, folks. Brian Loritz here. Welcome to our Kainos podcast. We are a pastoral podcast of the Summit Church, which is a large, predominantly white church, where we are on a journey into ethnic unity. Uh, I have today the absolute joy of talking to my friend and and a person I consider to be a mentor from afar in the area of ethnic unity, uh, Dr. Corey Edwards. Uh, I was going to introduce her just just as a professor of sociology at the Ohio State University. So obnoxious that school makes you put a the <laughs> in front of it. We can that get into so that in just a few moments. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. But she is, Dr. Edwards is also the Interim Associate Dean of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the College of Arts and Sciences at the Ohio State University and um, is is a fanatic when it comes to the football team. Am I overstating that, Dr. Edwards? <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to blame it, but what am I going to do? It's OSU. It's also Steelers. You know that. <laughs> Although your team, your team is doing really well nowadays. Are you talking about the, the Bulldogs? Yeah. The reigning national champion and currently number yeah. one in the nation. Bulldogs? Still doing it. Still, hey, I know Still noticed. doing I it. Still doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not hating. <laughs> well, let's let's get into it. I mean, so here I am. It's um gosh, I don't know, maybe 12, 15 years ago, not to put too much of a date on us, but I'm pastoring in Memphis, fumbling my way along uh, in the area of, you know, what does a multi-ethnic church look like? How does this thing work? I got into it out of passion, early 2000s, not a lot of literature there. I distinctly remember speaking at Trinity Evangelical, just outside of Chicago, and I'm talking to one of the doctoral students um, who was writing on issues of the multi-ethnic church, and he said, hey, have you heard of Dr. Corey Edwards? And I'm like, absolutely haven't. And um, he said, I need to get to know you. Not long after that, uh, I read your book, The Elusive Dream, and my mind was absolutely blown. Uh, From there, um, you know, I I recall reaching out to you. Uh, I then uh, invited you to come and speak at our Kainos conference, our national conference, which was a gathering of so many leaders who, um, like me, were just fumbling their way along into uh, what Dr. King called the beloved community and how does that work. And um, I just remember sitting there at the conference and just uh, being in awe. Um, Your real specialty is you have kind of researched uh, the inner workings of multi-ethnic churches, and uh, you have written extensively about it. I would just love to know, Dr. Edwards, could you talk to us for a moment? How in the world did you get into this space? Because I feel like you got into it before multi-ethnic church kind of became a popular in vogue thing. So just kind of, you know, trace your steps into this journey of you researching and becoming interested as it relates to issues of ethnicity, race, culture, and the local church. Yeah, that's a really great question. And thank you so much for that generous introduction. It's such a blessing to be present with you all uh, today and you, Pastor Loretta. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. I actually um, 
really wasn't initially really thinking about this. You know, I grew up in the black church and I had attended different types of churches after I left home and went to, went to college. And, uh, and then I happened to be going to a largely white um, church at the time. Um, and one thing that the church kept talking about was, you know, issues of race and not being racist. But I couldn't help but notice that really structurally, and by that I mean people in power, uh, the distribution of people in power, and even the people who were, you know, in the pews, um, it just really wasn't a very diverse space. So while on one hand the congregation was talking a lot about not being racist, um, it really wasn't doing anything uh, really to make a difference. That is to say that communicated that me being there and others who other people of color in the space, it didn't really do anything to really communicate that we were included. That is to say, you don't, don't be racist out there somewhere, but one of the quiet message was, but you know, <laughs> we're not going to do anything different here. Hmm. And I didn't necessarily take that to mean that people were being intentionally, um, had intentionally poor motives. Uh, it just, stood out to me as someone who was one of few people in the space. So hmm. that's what really began to kind of get me thinking about it. And then I happened to actually run into somebody who was a black person at that church who told me uh, about multiracial churches. I hadn't actually really knew, didn't really know of any. Um, and then I began to uh, think about that more and process that more. My journey then moved toward me kind of checking out a variety of different churches that were multiracial and just, and for, and, you know, as you already know, I'm sure they were hard to find. Mm. Uh, even still, multiracial churches only make up about 15% of all congregations in the U.S., but this was a little bit ago, as you've already mentioned, so there was much, much less at the time, about 6 or 7%, so they weren't easy to find. Um, but that's kind of what started getting me to think about it because I thought to myself, well, maybe these spaces have the answer, right? As, as Martin Luther King talked about, you know, the, the, the Sunday hour, the most segregated hour of the, of the week. Uh, but here are these churches that are, are able to make these integrated, uh, an integrated hour. And so that's what really got me interested in looking at multiracial churches. Okay. So. Our listeners should be picking up right now um, a little bit of a difference. I use the term multi-ethnic churches. You use the term multiracial churches. Is that just a semantic difference, or is that really intentional language in which you're differentiating the two? It's it's absolutely uh, intentional, um, Pastor Brian. It is because you know, we think when we say ethnic, uh, it's really not getting at what I believe we are really aiming to do as a church, which is really address issues of exclusion and equity, um, really pushing against um, creating spaces that, that say, hey, not everybody belongs, but say that everybody, that the gospel is for everyone. And, and we recognize that we have lived in a country where that has not always been touted as the case, preached as the case. And and that has been quite clearly actually along racial lines and not ethnic lines. And so what is the difference? Well, when we think about ethnic, what we are really talking about are uh, cultural dif- differences that group um, 
have, and people use people, different people groups use different types of cultural characteristics to delineate who they are. This could be about their music uh, that they listen to, the food that they eat, uh, the clothes that they wear. And, and the reality is that you can have a group that is race of the same race, but that is different ethnically. So when we say, for example, uh, Germans and Italians, uh, in the, you know, German American, Italian American, those are different ethnic groups, right? We imagine that they have different foods and different um, holidays that are important to them, and they and they have maybe even they adhere to different types of, of religious practices, but they're still considered to be white. Uh, and similarly, you can think of people who are uh, Puerto Rican or uh, Dominican or Mexican. Uh, they're all considered to be uh, Latinx or Hispanic, but they're different ethnically, right? People who are Puerto Rican are very different ethnically from people who are Mexican in the foods they eat and the, and the types of celebrations they, they have, uh, even perhaps, and as I said, how they practice their, their religion. So we want to be pretty precise about what we're talking about because when we're thinking about building communities across uh, racialized, we're talking about that real socio-historical differences that have really separated people in our country, but also have created great difference and disadvantages or privileges, depending on the group in our country. And so um, I, I emphasize race because I actually argue that's really what we're actually talking about. We are aiming to build communities that are largely made up of white people who are different. Ethnically, that is to say, made up of Polish people and Italians and Germans, when we're really talking about these issues, what we're talking about is, can we bring people of different racial uh, backgrounds together to build community? Can we build communities that say and really practice that the good news of Jesus Christ is for everybody? Okay. Now, you know you just opened the door, Dr. Did I? I was, I was just, um, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, but, no, but I think this is, I, th- I think this is great. And I just, I just want to, I just want to push you on this, um, because if I'm hearing you correctly, w- what I'm hearing you say is, uh, you know, someone can be German, someone can be Italian. That's ethnicity. And that's those are people groups, but at the same time, they can be white, which that's now we're getting into to an area of of race. But how do we understand? Let's just let's just take two examples. How do we understand what white is? How do we understand what black is? Um, if we use that in terms of race without seeing a deep, dark, uh, sinister, evil, historical underbelly to those terms. Does that make sense? Well, I, I, I actually would say that um, when we think about what it means to be white, uh, even in our in our country, people don't may not know this, but you know, in our country, the idea of what is white was codified into law um, very early on. Even in even at the very beginning of this country in 1790, uh, one of the first laws that our Congress passed said that only white people, for example, could be citizens of this country. And so, what does that mean? That was a message that that communicated that there are certain people that belong and certain people that do not belong. And then we have many laws across different states that, that really delineated who was black and who was not black. And what did that have to do with? That had to do with who, who again, belonged and who didn't. Who was able to 
have access to the front door of restaurants rather than going to the back door and getting their food. And these are very real and practical ways in which people were living out their lives. And none of that had to do with whether or not you were German or Italian or whether you were Jamaican or, you know, seventh generation African-American in this country. It had to do with your race. Right. And so we, we want to just be careful in our language to make sure that we are talking about what we're talking about, that, that we aren't minimizing what we're talking about. But, and the reason why I think it's so important is because I am a fundamental believer that the gospel is about really um, rectifying those, those ways in which people are perceived as being unworthy and, w- and the ways in which certain people are considered to be more worthy. Right. And I believe that God, God says, no, we, I, that is not what I am about. And so it's important for us to be clear so that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached. And, and, I, and I would even say this, too, Pastor Brian, is because I fundamentally believe that, that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can ameliorate these, these challenges in our society. And so uh, we have to be truthful about that. Very, very helpful. Um, parsing out for us, you know, it's it's interesting to look at it from the other side. You know, these laws that you're talking about that were being codified in the late 1700s, uh, I know in places like Virginia and other places as well. Um, I, I recently heard a Nigerian writer who was an immigrant here. Um, this Nigerian writer said, I never, it, it, no, she said, in, in Africa, there are no black people. I didn't know what black was until I came to America. And that was a very eye-opening and illuminating kind of statement that I think really points to what you're talking about. She only thought in terms of ethnicity in Africa, right? You're Nigerian, and within that, there's, there's tribes that you're associated with or affiliated with. But coming to America, now she's kind of lumped into this broader thing that again has this dark underbelly attached to it, which I think is getting exactly to what you are talking about. So does race have any place in the local church as you understand it? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple ways in which I could interpret your, your question. One is, uh, is race, and this is something that scholars talk about, is race real? Well, it's not real in the sense that there's no uh, genetic, or a biological um, force for it, right? We, we know that, that biologically race isn't real, but it is very real in its consequences. It is very real in the ways in which we live our lives socially. It has profound impact on w- what types of access we have to um, what schools we may go to, whether that be elementary schools on up through college. It has profound impact on where we end up living and where we feel comfortable living and safe living. It has profound impacts on the kinds of friendships that we have and even who we marry. And so while, while we might want to frame it as if race isn't real, it is very real in its social implications as well as its consequences. And so when we talk about does race have any place in the church? Well, my response to that, uh, Pastor Brian, is this, that we have to be honest and truthful before we begin to really address uh, any issues that are going on in our communities. And if we're going to be honest and real about 
bridging uh, differences and, and getting to the place where we don't have these inequities in our in the body of Christ, which Christ regularly preaches about. We hear this preached in the Gospels, and we hear this preached in the Epistles, that we are to not be places that we instantiate inequity and inequality. We are actually to be moving toward an act and actively um, um, remediating any types of inequity or inequality in our community as body as the body of Christ. But in order to do that, Pastor Brian, we have to first be honest about it. Mm. And if we're not going to be honest about it, then we're not going to be able to deal with it. Absolutely. So, so absolutely, we have to talk about race. It would be uh, uh, it would be a disservice. I would say to the gospel of Jesus Christ for us not to talk about race. Yes, yes. One of the things you said that jolted me. I, I remember. I, I, I think you. I think you wrote it. Maybe in the elusive dream. It just. It. It was shocking, and it really um, was confirming at the same time to my to my own experience. Um, one of the things you said is. Um, in multiracial churches, minorities oftentimes look to the majority for permission as it relates to what is acceptable. Mm. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have to remember something is that that everybody is just human. Everybody's trying to live and make it in the world. And I, I believe that sometimes people, uh, people of color, um, uh, and, and black people in particular can be perceived as being superhuman. And by that, I mean just able to to deal with and not be impacted by the challenges that come with racism, both individual racism, personal racism, and systemic racism. But that's not the case. We are all socialized uh, to, to live in a world that says that what is what white and what white people believe and uh, affirm is right. And so, so we also have to do what, do, what, do what we call our own decolonization of ourselves to recognize that God loves us for who we are and accepts us uh, fully and completely for who we are as Black people. And so, absolutely, we can also contribute to that. And that's, that's not just in the church. That's in the church and that's outside of the church. That is an outcome of living in a society that both historically and continually communicates to us that not being white is not normative or desirable or um, or isn't really what we ought to accept or strive for. Wow. Yeah. You know, one, one of the first things I thought of when I when I read that statement about permission is, you know, there would be like uh, some Sundays where in the preaching moment it got particularly good to me and I might have broken a light sweat little bit of perspiration and um and then afterwards there would be I remember a couple of times um you know some of uh, some of our, our minorities come up to me and you know pastor that was that was a good sermon I almost shouted right mm-hmm. like in that moment it, it's it was humorous to me at first but the more I tossed that around in my mind I, I actually went to a place of lament absolutely um because what they were saying cloaked in humor was I looked around and got the memo. We don't do that here. And so instead of bringing the fullness of my embodied self as an offering 
in the worship experience, I just kind of assimilated into the dominant culture, um, which is which is really really tragic. Um, is that kind of what you're getting to when you make that statement about permission? Absolutely. And again, you know, tying that to living in a society where you're taught that um, the ways in which you do things, your culture, who you are, even who you are as a, as a human being physically is not desirable or normative. And so because you get these messages from the time we're born from all sorts of sources, not just, the, not just churches we may go to, it could be in the schools we go to, it could be in the movies we watch, the television we watch, the radio we listen to, um, the jobs that, that the people in the jobs that we see, who's in leadership, we get messages over and over and over again of who is deserving, who is who's to be in charge, who should be supported and who shouldn't. And then when we get we find when you find yourself in a context where you are the not only the numerical minority, but but more importantly the social minority, and you want to do something that's different than what the norm is, then you, you can feel yeah, I would say even feel that you aren't supposed to behave in particular ways. And so it's not necessarily that, that people of color and black people in particular are internally, as you said, even in your example, uh, uh, supporting this, but rather you just don't want to deal with feeling like a spectacle or you just don't want to deal with the negative yep. sanctions that go yep. along with behaving in that way. You just want to be yourself. Yep. And that's why it's not uncommon, quite frankly, for black people who attend multiracial churches to sometimes go to black churches because they just go there periodically just to be themselves, just to be me, just to be able to move how I want without having someone giving me the side eye or, or coming after coming to me after church and saying, wow, that's really great how you worship. And you're wondering to yourself, I wasn't trying to be special. I was just worshiping the Lord. And so, this, these are the kinds of um, challenges that come in, again, multiracial churches. And the reason why it's important also to emphasize the racial part is because while this could also happen in inter-ethnic churches that are um, homogenous racially, when you're dealing with a racial difference, the message is that certain ways in which things are done are not are proper or appropriate and that the people who are embodying those certain ways um, should have the power to determine what's appropriate and normative. And that's the real issue uh, that we want to address when we're talking about race in the church, in particular racial diversity in church. That's so good. I read an article um, a few years ago that you contributed to. Maybe you're a co-author of it. You're, You're really talking about um, spent a lot of time talking about minority leaders uh, leading um, either all white or or multiracial churches. You use a phrase, maybe it's even the title of the article, uh, "perpetual foreigners." Does that ring a bell, Doctor Edwards? Ah, perpetual foreigners are particularly usually used for people who are um, uh, who are uh, Asian. But we're actually, I was a strange pioneer. Strange, uh, strange, yeah, pioneers. strange pioneers. Actually, uh, me and my colleague who wrote that who wrote that article wrote a book about it, and it should be coming out, going into production soon. Cannot wait for that. T- tell us, tell us the name of the book. Strange pioneers. Strange pioneers. <laughs> yeah. So, speak to us on that note. Speak to us about some of the unique challenges because I, I think one of the real gifts that you are to our world 
um, and especially to the body of Christ, is you have spent a lot of time researching multiracial churches. Um, I'm finding more and more uh, minority leaders who want to plant multiracial churches. What are some of the unique challenges uh, that minority pastors face in trying to lead um, multi-ethnic churches or multiracial churches, to use your language? Yeah, that's a great question. And indeed, there are unique challenges that uh, persons of color have uh, when they move uh, in this direction. Well, again, I want to I want to pull us out a little bit more and have a broader view uh, because we want to take and keep in mind the context. And there are two 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 uh, sort of uh, structural characteristics that I want us to keep in mind. Number one, we live in a society that uh, has been and continues to be dominated uh, by people who are white, and that means that culturally, the, the society is. Um, more is Anglo or tends to be more Anglo. And so we live in a society that really uh, promotes diversity more broadly. So you see this in education and business and so on. But these organizations and these institutions are largely um, headed by and structured around what we call a white, a white hegemonic um, center. And what all that, all that means is that diversity happens in spaces that are already promoting a firm in alignment with Anglo culture and Anglo uh, structures and ways of doing things. And so when people, have, and this is not, and this is true also of the church, that is to say uh, racially and ethnically diverse churches and the planting of those, and I'm, and, and I'm going to pull back even a little bit more and say we're specifically talking about evangelical because uh, this is a particular type of polity that we're talking about. That is to say churches that are congregational in churches that pastors um, start, or in churches where pastors are hired. There are other types of polities as well, where church where pastors are assigned. So I'm not going to focus on that. I, that is an important um, distinction, and we do talk about that in, in our book, but I'm going to just, I want to highlight that because it is a distinction and it's an important one. But we're particularly focusing on conservative Protestants or evangelical denominations or traditions. And, uh, and how that works. And so what happens is that doing this kind of work happens in um, denominations or religious traditions that are either largely white or have historically, <laughs> historically been largely white. They do not happen in, for example, historically black denominations. This is not a phenomenon that happens in historically black denominations. I think that's an important distinction. So what you have to mean- explain that. You have to explain that because that's important. Well, what that means is that this the project of diversity and racial diversity or the planting of churches is not something that happens in Kojic or uh, the um, African Methodist Episcopal Church or the National Baptist Convention. These are all black-controlled, black-started denominations. This, these churches only start um, almost exclusively start in white denominations um, or white controlled denominations or white censored religious traditions. And so what that means is that these are people of color navigating a space that has been largely and historically white and continues to be. And that, and that right there puts them in a interesting space, right? They're already bounded by a structure wherein uh, Anglo culture and, um, white people are largely in control. And so that right there puts them in a different position 
than let's say white people who perhaps might want to start or plant a multiracial church. What that also means is that when they're a part of this denomination or congregation, and this is, again, these processes are not unique to churches. This is either just social processes. That is to say that they don't have the kinds of resources that their white colleagues will have. And why is that? Well, one, culturally, they'll be at a disadvantage because they didn't grow up in this culture. That's number one. Number two, structurally or socially, they're at a disadvantage because they're not as embedded in the social networks as their peers, their white peers are. By that, I mean they're not as connected uh, into the social network as their white peers are. So that puts them at a disadvantage uh, in doing this kind of work. And then, quite frankly, one of the challenges that also comes up is that they can be challenged uh, as being actual legitimate leaders of congregation uh, in ways that the white peers just don't experience. They're white peers who are pastors of multiracial churches and evangelical or conservative Protestant denominations just don't experience those kinds of challenges. Now, I do want to make it clear that doing this kind of work, whether you're a white pastor or a pastor of color in an evangelical or conservative Protestant denomination, is challenging. You will have people across different racial and ethnic groups coming to you with all kinds of concerns and issues. However, what we find in our research is that people of color, their actual legitimacy as leaders is challenged. That is to say, people just don't perceive them as being legitimate leaders wow. and, aren't, and, and, and they will experience that um, perhaps undermining of, of, their, of their power in that space in ways that their white peers do not. And so, I mean, there's so much, there's so much more that I could talk about. We wrote a whole book about it, obviously, but that's just a few bits uh, that I will, that I will share here. Wow. That is, <laughs> that is a lot. You are listening to Dr. Corey Edwards professor at The Ohio State University, and she is also uh, the Interim Associate Dean of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for College of Arts and Sciences at The Ohio State University, PhD. She's well-credentialed, y'all. She knows what she's talking about, and again, a real gift to the body of Christ. I, I, I want to push you a little bit more on this, uh, Dr. Edwards. Um we have a mutual friend uh, of ours, uh, my pastor, Dr. Kenneth Ulmer, Bishop Kenneth Ulmer, and he pastors in Inglewood, California, thriving African-American church. Uh, the NFL has just moved into Inglewood, where uh, Bishop Ulmer's church is. The community is quickly gentrifying. He feels called for the church to remain in Inglewood. He called me about, man— how do I make this large, flourishing black church become more multi-ethnic, multiracial, to use your language? I'm scratching my head, Dr. Edwards, of trying to find an example of a large black church that became multi-ethnic and that multi-ethnicity uh, was because white people came along. Are there examples out there? Am I crazy because I couldn't call up any examples of a church becoming multiracial that started out all black and white people just came and were a part of it? No, you are not. You are not. And it, it is not, I honestly don't know of one and I'm in the circles of people who study this. 
I don't know of one. Uh, I, I, it is just a real challenge for the reasons that I've already outlined as it relates to even people who are trying to start churches this way. I know of churches that have attempted to merge, that is to say a church that was predominantly black and churches that were predominantly white and they attempt to merge. And the same kinds of processes occur. That is to say, over time, the church begins begins to um, align with the culture and the structures that are more consistent with the Anglo predominantly white church. What what happens is uh, people in the church who are white are not completely on board with issues of justice and equity, uh, let alone integrating and following the culture. Uh, and the ideas and the theology of the predominantly black church that they merged with. And there are also challenges to the leadership of black people in that congregation, and particularly if they take on the leader, the uh, pastoral position. So as much as I really want to see this, and I have to be honest with you, Pastor Brian, I continue to be hopeful. And yet I also have to recognize that all of this is happening in a broader structure. And that's, and that's another thing I really want to to communicate is we often can focus on what's right there in front of us. That is to say, we're looking at our own church. We're looking at the people in our immediate network. We may be just looking right at our immediate neighborhood, but we don't remember that all of this is happening in, in a broader historical um, project uh, in, in the United States. And it's also happening in a broader social uh, project in the United States. And by that, I mean is that we, we do live in a country that um, almost every turn really pushes people toward racial segregation. Mm. Uh, and we've lived in a society that's continued to do that. And so I like to, I, I always want to remind pastoral leaders that, I, that it is going to be hard. You, should, you shouldn't be surprised that it's hard to do. Mm. Uh, you shouldn't, you should, you should almost take, you should just take courage with people who are like you in this work. That is what I, by that, I mean, like you, I mean, people who are doing the same kind of work in ministry and just recognize that, that it is going to be difficult. And yet at the same time, I'm also, I'm also reminded of what, what Christ told us, that the, that the gospel of Jesus Christ in preaching, that was not going to be easy. We were never, ever, ever told that it would be. Right, and so um, this is a part of gospel work, and so we should expect it to be difficult. Uh, we should expect that that this is some of this is only going to happen with the power of power of Holy Spirit. I think we should just expect it, uh, and then if we do recognize that it's beyond our own human capacity and control, uh, then I think we can really begin to you know trust and move in ways that are in line with what what God would want us to do. So I, so I say all that to say, you know, Pastor Brian, as much as I would love to tell you there was one, I, I, I can't point to one. I can't. But I am hopeful. I always remain hopeful. Two more questions, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you get on. I know you've got a full schedule here, uh, Dr. Edwards. Um, one, I, I, I want to I speak to that minority pastor who you says just faces a lot of questions and scrutiny in a multiracial context, they're, they're trying to lead. I, I even want to lengthen that a little bit, you know, uh, to minority staff on a church uh, that is venturing in this direction. I, I, I so appreciate you. I think, I think one of the last times we were together, 
You were uh, helping me to facilitate a cohort on uh, on multi-ethnic, multiracial churches and leadership there. And you really talked a lot about self-care. Um, I, I really want to see leaders and especially minority leaders in these spaces um, be able to thrive and flourish. Just give us a few things that you would say is really important for a minority uh, on staff at a majority white church or a church that's trying to become multiracial uh, that they can do by way of self-care that will set them up um, for just a long, thriving uh, leadership tenure at that church. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Yeah, as you know, I do have a real passion for people uh, in these roles taking care of themselves. And, and I would say there are a few things that I that I like to point to. One is really um, doing your own work uh, with the Lord and believing and trusting that God loves you for who you are through and through. Really doing the work. And this is a spiritual work of decolonizing ourselves from a theology and an ideology that says that we are less than. Mm. We have to really engage that work and be very honest with ourselves about where we are yeah. and, 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 and trust that God created us intentionally and loves us as we are and embraces us, embraces us as we are, that we are indeed, no doubt about it, the beloved of God. Yeah. I also want to encourage us to build community with people who are like us and don't feel ashamed about it. Amen. We need to be in community with people who are like us. It is, it is, you want to be in safe community. It is not the best for us to always be in unsafe community. An unsafe community simply means being in a space where you can't be full yourself. Mm. Uh, and so seek out those places. Be okay connecting. Be okay within yourself to uh, pursue pursue communities of people that are like you, where you can be fully you and be fully present uh, as uh, as you are. Uh, those are the two things that I recommend, and I encourage people to free themselves up to do uh, and to not feel any bones about it. Because it is not healthy to continually be in a place where you don't feel like you can be 100% yourself. And by that I mean, <laughs> just a simple example of being able to laugh as loud as you want or as quietly <laughs> as you yeah. want or yeah. throw yeah. your head back as you want or move as you want or use the language as you want or have the concerns that you want without having to explain yourself. And without having to make excuses or 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 um, feel like you have to silence yourself in any way, so I, those are the two. Uh, those are my two recommendations: do the work of trusting God that God truly did make you the beloved of God, just as is, loves you, embraces you, and number two, create spaces and pursue spaces where you can be with people that you feel fully and completely safe with. Don't make any excuses about it. Amen. No, I would, I would heartily amen and affirm all that you've just said. In fact, uh, to your last point, you know, to allow yourself uh, to enjoy rich community um, with people who are like you. You know, I, I use the language of giving yourself permission to take furloughs. 
Um, you know, when we talk about people going on the mission field, they're engaging another culture, uh, and they love those people, and it's wonderful, but the way the gospel is encased uh, in that culture is just different than them. And so oftentimes mission societies, mission boards just think it's healthy, and I agree. Hey, why don't you take a furlough, come back home to a familiar culture? Um, I had to give myself that kind of permission as well, even though I wasn't overseas someplace. Uh, God has specifically called called me to love and walk with people who are just different racially and ethnically and culturally than from me. Yes and amen, but in order to give myself some life, there are times in which I just need to be able to just laugh and not code switch and hang out with you know people who are who are like me. And so it took me a while to get there, ironically enough, to give myself that that kind of permission. Last question, Dr. Edwards, uh, and I'll let you go. Um, how do I ask this? What does a healthy multiracial church? look like? Like when you think of multiracial churches that are just flourishing, ones in which you can join. In fact, I think you are a part of one right there in Columbus, Ohio, where you are. Uh, Just give us, you know, three things or so that, man, they're doing these things and it just is bringing life and health uh, in a very equitable way. Yeah. I mean, I would say that one, and this is, I would actually say this is true of any, of any church, uh, but it takes on a particularly different meaning uh, and is very present present in a multiracial church. Uh, it's, it's these are spaces of truth mm. and honesty and authenticity. Mm. I, I think that one of the one of the big challenges is that um, there are many churches that are homogenous that are unwilling to be truthful and honest mm. um, about not only. Um, are, are the history of the society, but also the history of the church mm. uh, broadly, and even the history of the particular church specifically. And truth is what we, we, we need to really reside in that. We need to be authentic. authentic. Uh, it, that is where freedom resides. That is what we're called to. And if, and if we're not operating in, those, in that space, then that's, um, that's a place where work uh, will, have, will need to be done. I believe a second place, a second healthy church um, is a church that really is intentional about intentional about looking for isolating and and on undoing um, practices and systems that are um, inequitable. And by that I mean that can be culturally. That is to say, these are places where only certain types of culture, uh, whether it's music or length of services or how governance is done, that there's only one particular way to do that and it's rooted in a certain history and a certain structure and and if we're not going to be honest about that it goes back to honesty then those aren't going to be healthy healthy places mm. so um, you want to have a church that's very again I guess it's really all stemming from that um, having places that are authentic uh, honest truthful um, and then about about their histories and about their current current social systems and structures. And then I would say these are places that really practice repentance. Mm. Uh, repentance is something that God calls us to. Um, God calls us to put, to repent. And uh, if, if we don't have a culture of repentance, even though the truth may be spoken, but there's no repentance, then I would say that's unhealthy. So God has called us to repentance, both individually and collectively. Mm. 
Uh, and then lastly, these are places of, of, of um, love and forgiveness. Mm. And uh, love and forgiveness does not mean overlooking the truth. Sometimes that, that can be interpreted that way. And uh, theologies of love and forgiveness can be mis- misused and abused to avoid the truth. Uh, but I mean, just honestly, just loving, loving people and operating in forgiveness. So truth and authenticity, uh, actual repentance, that means change, hmm. <laughs> not just saying I'm sorry. Yeah. And then that practice with love and forgiveness. Well, thanks, Dr. Edwards. Um, if you've been listening in, you've been listening to one of my mentors from afar, Dr. Corey Edwards, doing great work uh, up there at uh, Columbus, Ohio. Again, she is the Interim Associate Dean of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the College of Arts and Sciences at the Ohio State (laughs) University uh, and a rabid Ohio State University football fan as well. But uh, beyond that, a woman who loves Jesus, uh, who researches multiracial churches, who has written extensively on them. I want to encourage you, go to Amazon, type her name in, K-O-R-I-E, last name Edwards, and just devour and sit with the wealth of information uh, that she provides us, a real service to the church and uh, a real service to my own life uh, in ministry as well. Thanks, folks, for listening to the Kainos podcast. We are a pastoral podcast of the Summit Church, which is a large, predominantly white church on a journey into multi-ethnic unity. My name is Brian Loritz, and uh, it's been a joy to sit at the feet of my friend, Dr. Corey Edwards. I hope you've been encouraged. If you have, please uh, subscribe, please like, please write a favorable five star review. Uh, Great will your reward in heaven be. Anyways, uh, till next time, uh, what a delight it is to talk to my friend, Dr. Corey Edwards. It's been a blessing to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.